Soup with Coop is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. We went out that night, and I remember meeting a couple of these individuals, and one of them, and of course you wouldn't know who the hell they were at the time, was this, you know, Polynesian giant defensive tackle, uh, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, I think I partied with The Rock and Warren Sapp on my recruiting trip to, to Miami. Your first drink out in a club in Miami with The Rock. I mean. My next guest on Soup with Coop is someone who I have not seen in nearly 24 years. We were hanging out at the Downtown Athletic Club in New York at the Heisman Trophy presentation. And uh, neither one of us won that night, Ryan, but welcome to Soup with Coop, Ryan Leaf. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, I got my soup. You know how funny this is, is this was meant to be because I have my meals delivered to me every day. And guess what today's lunch was? Tell me. Chicken, creamy tomato and chicken soup was lunch today. So this was meant to be. I'm having a little tomato soup today. Taste it. Tell me how how they they deliver it hot for you or you have to heat it up? I have to heat it up. But it's very good. Very good. And I have someone help me with my soup. She always puts a little grilled cheese in there. I mean, that yeah, right here. there. Here's my little wedge of Oh, hell. that's, you know, it's no, no better way to start. Are you a soup lover? I'm not a lover, but <laughs> there are some moments where I'm at a restaurant or I'll just be craving a, and I'm a cream based soup. So I'm like a cream of mushroom, tomato. I'd like a, a, a lobster, uh, maybe a, a creamy lobster bisque, something like that. I'm more of a kind of a, cream-based soup uh, connoisseur. Well, you look like you're not eating a lot of cream. You look good. You look like you're lean and mean right now. What, do you, what are you weighing right now, Ron? I'm about 225, 230. Um, and that's a big difference for me. Uh, about a year ago, July 3rd, saw a picture of myself with my kiddo. And I, I felt I looked uh, bloated, angry, and you know this better than anybody having children. Um, once you do, you want to be around as long as you can for them. So I was stuck at home in the pandemic. And I talked to a nutrition friend of mine who also ran like a meal delivery service. He said, let's try, let's try this. And it, it turns out it was just, it was, it was all the food I was consuming. Um, dropped like 70 pounds in a matter of six months and have maintained it since. Uh, much more energy, my mental acuity, I feel like is is much better, or, or more articulate. Um, and I just, I have more energy to run around with that three and a half year old and it's it's made a huge difference. So, and I and I do like the, the physical benefits. I like that I have smaller fitting clothes. I like that my joints don't bother me anymore when I'm, you know, chasing him around and stuff like that. So this is, this was, you know, a, a forward evolution for me and needed to be done. You mentioned having children and running around. When you were growing up in Montana, were you uh, into every sport? Were you an, an athlete at, at out of the gates and competitive and in playing everything? Yeah, um, my dad. My dad was a quarterback for his local high school team. Went off to play at college. Uh, didn't really didn't really work out. Came back home. Got drafted. Uh, served a couple tours in Vietnam, and then raised three boys. And he just loved sports. He didn't force us into doing anything. Uh, he just had a basketball hoop out in the front yard. Uh, we had a little baseball diamond set up in 
in the front yard with uh, wolf of all games. And then, you know, he just followed us around flag football, basketball tournaments, got me playing golf. I mean, it was baseball. It was just sport to sport. It wasn't that, that focus. Like we see a lot of kids these days that are just focusing on focusing on one sport. And I thought, I thought it helped me a ton in terms of my thought, my athleticism. Were you a good player, Ryan? Were you always kind of the first pick in the, in the, when they're choosing sides or were you a late bloomer? No, I was, I was lanky and tall and athletic, good hand-eye coordination. Uh, I, when I speak around the country, you'll like this, and I'm sure your family will like this. I, I start off my speeches about being from Montana and how small it is and, and everything like that. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm the only first-round draft pick ever from the state of Montana. And then I punctuate it with, there are more first-round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. So that gets a good chuckle out of everybody. Kind of, you know, my, my speeches are a little uh, intense, but uh, it gets them to chuckle and understand that we're, we're there to enjoy our, our time with them. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's weird to be the only one ever from your state. Um, I didn't really have a trailblazer. I was just incredibly competitive. I had to try to win at everything. And uh, had two younger brothers, uh, just like you, who who I could, you know, bounce around with and play with and compete with, and and it was it was a wonderful childhood uh, around sports. My parents uh, were constantly breaking up fights between, you know, Eli wasn't really in the fighting situation; he was a little too young. But Peyton and I were at each other's throat. Were you? We all. You know, when it got to 18, 18 in the backyard and the, and the hoops game was was blood coming before someone hits 20. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm three and a half years older than my my middle brother, but then I'm a full nine years older than than Brady. I don't know if you remember this picture from the Heisman Trophy ceremony of of I think you're you're over to the left a little bit further. And then there's my little brother either in the middle right next to Eli and our parents had dressed them, right? And it was just like a plaid shirt with a striped tie and just nonsense. And I always bring it out to show my brother, uh, Brady, because, you know, my mom, we had never done anything cool, like went to New York and, and your son was up for a, a trophy like that, but she thought she was dressing them the best she could. And it's an always constant reminder and a, a, and a way to poke a little fun at the baby brother about his his uh his wardrobe we, during the uh, Heisman Trophy. I must segment. admit we still talk about that outfit. I've been kind of waiting for that to come back in style. I thought Brady was just ahead of his time. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You remember also about that night in uh in downtown you remember Randy Moss was there. It was y'all four, you Charles Woodson and Peyton and Randy and Randy wore sunglasses the whole night. You remember that? Yeah. You know I think a lot of people you know, there was swirlings around him going pro and failing a drug test and things like that. So I think a lot of people projected onto him like it must have had something. He was what was going on. And we later found out with Randy is that he was he was having kind of a, a, a real significant anxiety attack. And it made him feel comfortable, like having the glasses on. And because he was there with he talks about it, he was there with Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf and. Charles Woodson, he didn't know if he belonged. He had all, he was so worried about uh, ESPN bringing up his past travails. And it was just an uncomfortable situation. And of course, I wish I would have known more about this and it could have been a comfort to him. Um, it was a, it was a unreal night. I knew I wasn't going to win. Um, I assumed Peyton was, and I was just there to uh, 
you know, relish in the fact that Washington State was getting some recognition. Um, you know, the only Washington State player ever invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, the highest finishing player. So it was a special night for me, my family, representing Washington State, representing Montana, Mike Price, our head coach. And then I was just awfully cool to spend time with with the likes of Charles Woodson and Randy Moss and Peyton Manning. I just, I was, I was in awe. Football season is here and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. Flashing back to Montana, not, not, a, not a competitive, you know, high school football as, as you see in Florida and Texas and everywhere. I mean, obviously not a ton of people getting recruited. What was your recruiting like? And then did you, were you a Washington State fan? Who was your football team? Um, the Colorado Buffaloes. That's where I wanted to go. A, they were good. When I was a freshman in high school, there was a senior linebacker who was getting recruited by division one schools and getting recruited by a division one school in Montana was, was big business. He usually went to the FCS, Montana, Montana state, Weber state, things like that. So he went to the university of Colorado. And I remember going on my first unofficial visit there, going to Boulder. They were still in the big eight. Uh, Nebraska came, Tommy Frazier, Colorado had Cordell Stewart. It was, I'm like, I got to come here. I got to come here. And then when I went on my visit, you know, Coy Detmer was in line and I just was like, am I ever going to play here? I, I didn't, didn't know, but I got recruited by pretty much everybody. Um, I took visits to the university of Miami, um, Washington State, Colorado State, Colorado um, had Oregon, UCLA on on tap, so they were able to find um, me in Little Old Montana. There was a lot of Montana ties. Dennis Erickson was at Miami. He had played at Montana State. Had married a Great Falls, Montana girl, which is where I'm from. Dave Arnold, who was the recruiting coordinator down there, had coached at Montana State. Sonny Lubick had Montana ties at Colorado State. Brian Cabral at Colorado, and then. The day of the Rose Bowl, it was UCLA and Wisconsin, January 1st, 1994. Mike Price, the head coach for Washington State, just another random recruiting call, I think. I don't know if he had it really a huge objective or motive. Called me and asked what I was doing, and I said, I'm watching the Rose Bowl. And he said, I'll make you a deal, Ryan. You come here to Washington State. Uh, we'll play in that game together. And I, I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. I... Walked into mom and dad's bedroom, looked at them and said, I'm going to Washington State. They kind of <laughs> looked at me and and uh, they were happy because it was close enough to home, but I think far enough away where I could start to develop some independence. But I also hadn't done any research. Hadn't realized they had been to a Rose Bowl since 1931, Coop. 67 years it would be. But That's a good recruiter know, just, right there. That's a really good recruiter. Great choice. Uh, Mike Price was like a second father to me taught me how to play the quarterback position. Um, we did something that hadn't been done there in forever. It made, uh, made history. Um, great, a lot of great accomplishments. That team will remember, be remembered forever. Uh, really, really special, really proud to have 
to play there, gone to school there, got my degree there. As you can see, I still represent as much as I can when I can. You mentioned going on a visit to Miami. What the heck happens on a visit to Miami in the early nineties? You got to share something. I mean, was who was who was your host? Who was there? That, that teams, those teams were star studded. Yeah, Bryce Erickson. So Dennis's son was there as a walk on quarterback, but Ryan Costa uh, and or Ryan Collins and Frank Costa were the quarterbacks. They were just coming off the national championship. Warren Sapp was there like as a sophomore. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was like a sophomore or junior. And this is a story I've told a lot where we went out that night. And of course, after we got done eating dinner with the coaching staff, they take us out and about in Coral Gables. And I never drank alcohol in my life. They took me to Dan Marino's bar. I had a rum and Coke and probably fell over uh, a few minutes later. But we were in and out of cars, going to places. And I remember meeting a couple of these individuals. And one of them, and of course, you wouldn't know who the hell they were at the time. Uh, was this, you know, Polynesian giant defensive tackle, uh, Dwayne Johnson. And he would go on to be the rock and be the highest paid movie star in the world. And there I am. And, you know, I think it was January of 94 on a uh, <laughs> recruiting trip to Miami. Now I have a story later, years later, like, I, yeah, I think I partied with the rock and Warren Sapp on my recruiting trip to, to Miami. Your first drink out in a club at Miami with the rock. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good one. Um, I was so hungover the next day. I didn't make it to hardly any of my uh, academic meetings. Eric Price, Mike Price's son was the GA down there, ironically enough. And I, I apparently just kind of slept on his couch in his little office there at the university of Miami in their facility for most of the day. Uh, Dennis was very honest with me when we went through our exit interview, he said, you know, if there's a professional job that comes, I, I'm going to take a hard look at it. Sure enough, the Seattle Seahawks job came about and he he jumped at that. And he also said that the recruiting coordinator saw me more as a tight end, maybe linebacker. And uh, that's pretty honest. And I just was I was such a fish out of water. I was like in cut up jeans and a flannel shirt on South Beach. It was it was not it was not a fit for me. I belonged in the uh, the wheat fields and the rolling hills of, of Pullman or Boulder, Colorado, or Port Collins, you you know, I mean, Colorado. That's that's where I belong. I know it's maybe it doesn't make sense as much when you're from, you know, the West. But are you, were you just a country boy, a, a, just a small town country kid? And, and yeah. the bright lights were 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 too bright. Yeah, I just didn't know about it. And I didn't know what the bright lights were. It just I grew up. Uh, on the Missouri River, uh, hunting the Rocky Mountains, fishing, playing outdoors, you know, wasn't a video game guy. You know, me and my two younger brothers and all our friends on the block, we just, we had a football field in our backyard, a baseball diamond at the end of our block. I mean, it was just, we were just outdoors kids in a state that had about oh, 750,000 people in a state that's huge. It's the fourth largest state in, in the country, but just no people. And, uh, you know, it was, yeah, I'm just, I tell a lot of people all the time, especially when my career went so south and I, and my behaviors became an issue um, that I wish I could have just, when the narrative started going the other way, like this guy wears the black hat, I always wish I would have been able to just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm just this kind of, you know, redneck hick from Montana who just wants to play sports and be liked. And, uh, you know, I wasn't ever able to do that. And that's, that's exactly who I was. I was just this kid who wanted to play sports, compete, and, and wanted people to like me. 
You know, Ryan, it's funny you mentioned that because we're traveling around and seeing some of these college towns and the the infrastructure, especially as you get into these really big programs, the they have mental health coaches on staff where you're not, it's not, and they were talking about how there was a little stigma. If you wanted to go visit one, now everybody goes, it's not, it's not, it's not a, if you're having problems, this is here for you. It's everybody goes and meets with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a mental health coach and just, just talks about things, gets things, you know, Hey, this is a big change. I'm, I'm living here. And all of a sudden now I'm on my own living in this, in this college town. I got, freedom but i've got responsibility and it's uh it's a lot to handle did you did you struggle at, at washington state out of the gates just kind of handling that i mean it was one thing to the pros but even the transition from small town high school to you know to pack pack 10 you know competitiveness has got to be a yeah tra- i think uh especially when you're so wooed and courted by these coaches and everybody you just assume when you walk on set like hey remember me remember how much you love me and now they're like, hey, you got to be up at 6 a.m. to do your workout with the freshman. You're going to redshirt. You're going to run the scout team. We got we got games to win here. I can't be worrying about you right now. That was that was really difficult, right? And because I just assumed, like, I mean, they love me, right? They love me so much. They just begged and pleaded for me to come here and let me walk on campus. And they're calling me Baby Bledsoe, and I'm just like, yeah, this is this is this is how we're going to roll. No, and. Uh, you know, then I just kind of wanted to, I just wanted to compete. So I didn't go to school. Uh, I didn't take my classes seriously. My GPA, my first, my freshman first semester was really bad. I mean, yeah, it was, it was extremely difficult transition. There were no uh, alternatives of mental health or guidance or anything. It was just tough love and like, got to get through it. And, you know, I, I get it. I get uh, nowadays with the transfer portal and, and things being that way, you, you impulsively act uh, and, and do something like that. You know, you jump to a, where you think the grass is greener. I, I think it made me a stronger individual having to deal with adversity, overcoming it, win the job, you know, become the leader of that team. That was, that was definitely, and I did start the final year there. I started seeing a, a kind of a sports psychologist that they had on staff there, but it really wasn't around. I remember going to him at night after watching film and we would work on like visuals, visualization stuff, more like visualizing a tighter spiral, things like we, it wasn't, we weren't talking about actual emotional growth and emotional health that I think uh, is, is present for, for players uh, now than, than it was then. You get drafted second pick, obviously you and Peyton are kind of back and forth. Who's the number one guy when you're, when you're amazing success in, in, in college, were you, um, confident in your ability or were you all, did you also kind of sense I might not, I might be a little more fragile than they think I am at that time. Can you remember? Can you look, think back? Yeah, I, I, I was extremely confident, right? I was so confident that I was like, I, I don't care if Indianapolis doesn't take me one. Uh, Peyton and I are one A and one B, you know, whoever you're going to get, you're going to get the guy and Peyton and I are going to spend the next decade and a half fighting each other for the AFC championship every year. That's, that's how I envisioned it. I thought I was exactly where I was supposed to be. This was, this was destined. This was where it was supposed to be. Um, and I was excited for it. I was naive to what was about to come, the scrutiny, the pressure, um, dealing with failure in a healthy, positive way. I had no idea, um, how to do that the right way. And, 
and, it, and it's, it's still, you know, Peyton probably gets sick and tired of me asking him these things when we see each other 24 years removed. But I keep, you know, I always, when I am around him, I always keep, you know, asking him how he did it, you know, because it, I couldn't, it was so hard. And there's a reason why there's only, you know, 10 or 12 every year that are probably extremely, ex, ex, uh, you know, um, you know, who do well who are, and get it done. So, you know, I just, uh, I was incapable and it's not a slight, it's the hardest thing to do in the world, but short story here. Um, that final year when Peyton and I were, he was a senior and I was a junior and our names started getting attached to one another. I remember reaching out to my sports information director, um, and asking if he would reach out to, to Peyton's and, and if he and I could get on the phone and have a conversation. And if you remember correctly, you know, there's no such thing as cell phones or like you had to be home on a landline to have that call. Right. So we had it, it was planned. And I was like, Oh my God, Peyton Manning's going to be calling or we're going to talk. I'm talking about Peyton Manning. And I remember picking up the headset and hearing that, that and hearing your, your draw a little bit today and hearing his for the first time on that phone call, I was just like, wow, we were 21 year old kids. Um, no idea what was ahead. And we're going to be attached at the hip for the rest of our lives. And uh, I look back on that fondly. Um, his, the way he treated me, um, the way he's continued to treat me, the way your mom, Olivia and Archie treated my parents during the whole process, the draft process, when things went poorly for me um, and I struggled I think probably Peyton might be the one person that I would uh, realistically hold a resentment against, but I don't. I am incredibly proud of him. It's no secret that we've always been pulling for you. I mean, we, we've had a great yeah. time in New York back in the day. And, you know, competition's one thing, but also just being a, a good guy and pulling for guys you compete against. That's what makes it. I mean, you know, playing people that you don't, you know, that are, that are, inferior to you that's not competition it's guys going against guys who you know were good players I remember those those games you know when you're a rookie playing on bad teams which you and Peyton were there's a reason there's a reason you have the number one and, and number two pick in the draft because you're not very good and I remember those games are those were kind of the biggest games of the year you know that rookie year when we're you know we're facing off and so um, um yeah it was a good game we, we played each other in the preseason yeah and um and then got back at it in the regular season. And it was a pretty darn good game. Um, you know, I've been beat over the head so much in my life telling me how bad a player I was. I went back and watched the game the other day because they were showing some throwback highlights from that matchup. And uh, it, it boosted my, it boosted my self-worth a little bit because I played pretty darn well. We got a touchdown taken away because our offensive lineman was off the line a little bit. So we didn't have enough players on the offensive line. I threw a couple other dimes and, and I, and I competed against one of the greatest in the, in, and I felt more, I felt better about it. Cause I just, you know, you just get beat over the head for so long about how bad you were, you know, you're this bust and all of those things. So sometimes it's good to remember and, uh, and it, what a, what a cool experience. Um, and I, I remember seeing the picture after the game and boy, Peyton and I, we were, Oh God, we were so young. We were so young. We had <laughs> acne all over our faces still. And we're just like, children in this man's world uh and uh yeah it's 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 neat to reminisce and and, and have have stories like that
Right. I want to ask you about that. You know, there's there's a feeling anytime you're I don't care whether you're in eighth grade and you're playing a quarterback or you're the point guard or hitting third and shortstop and you walk into a room, whether it's a classroom, a homeroom, a, you know, an assembly or a cocktail party or wherever you, you have a little you got a little skip in your step. And you probably had that for the bulk of your life. And I was wondering you know, when you walk in a room as a quarterback and all of a sudden things weren't going right, things there was wind in your face and you were getting um, probably more, you know, more, more trouble than you deserve more from the media. But was that, was that a, an awkward, when you went, went places, were you fighting being the pe- same person you were just, just holding your head high? Yeah. I, um, you know, I had some narcissistic personality where I felt like everything had to be about me. And sometimes, you know, as the elite athletes, I kind of, it's a razor's edge. Um, so when I would go into rooms, especially after I'd gone and, you know, played so poorly, um, where there were Hall of Famers or Super Bowl champs or successful players at the time, and I felt less than and judged, um, I feared that. I feared all those things. and. You know, it probably wasn't the case. People probably weren't looking at me, talking about me or thinking about me. I just, I made it about me. So, you know, I, I, I was scared that please don't recognize me. Please don't recognize me. Please don't recognize me. And then like 15 minutes later, I'm thinking, why the hell isn't anybody recognizing me? It's like that, uh, it's that narcissistic personality that, that reared its ugly head a ton for me. And yeah, it was a struggle. Um, I still liked, there were three things, like the ideals of success for me where I thought were money, power, and prestige. And I had succeeded. I had gotten there. So I just thought I was more important than a lot of people simply because I could play this game and I was rich and famous and everything. I had the wrong priorities. Um, and, you know, when you have all that money, when you have a ton of money, what that does is it, it just exposes your character defects. That's what it does. And I didn't realize the the magnitude and magnifying glass and the scrutiny that was going to come with it and how those behaviors would project onto everybody else. And that's what made it such a struggle. And most people can figure that stuff out through time. It, it took a, a, an incredible humbling on my part to get to that place where I was okay with who I was. Um, what other people thought of me was none of my business. It just, it was growing pains that took a lot longer than uh, the average, the average guy, I think. And I'm grateful for it. It was hard as hell. I'm, I'm grateful for it now at 45 and a father and all those things. I'm grateful for it. Was there anyone along the way who tried to let you know you, you were acting, you know, <laughs> like an, yeah, ass. there were plenty. <laughs> yeah, there were plenty. There were plenty. Right. Um, you know, when I walk into the room with those football players and I tell my story, you know, it's, I was exactly where you guys were 24 years ago. And I had guys come in and talk to me too. And I would always kind of think, wow, that's an amazing story, but that's not going to be me. I mean, no way that's going to be me. And I think that's the response a lot uh, I get, but I try to stay out of that result. I just try to be part of the solution and go in and talk about it talk about what solution-based things you can do and what things you can control. So when something like this similarly happens, maybe, or comes along, you actually have the tools. Junior Seau was uh, a guy that, that tried. Rodney Harrison, um, 
And I just didn't latch on. I, I should have just grabbed a hold of their belt loop, followed them around like a little kid, figured out how to be a professional because they wanted me to succeed. They really did. When I got to Tampa under Tony Dungy and I had that crew, that defense who would go on to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, that's where I finally kind of figured out how to be a professional. Injuries had bought, uh, you know, had bottled up and had become an issue where I wasn't as talented because guess what? doesn't matter how well your mind works. Eventually, if you're the talent doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, equal what you're doing on the football field, you're going to be found out quick. You're not going to be able to get it done. So um, there were many John Elway reached out. Um, there were, there were, there were plenty of people that offered the, the hand and I, I pretty much just slapped it away. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odd boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesars Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today, and get more with every wager. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. Ron, I'm curious now that you're, you know, broadcasting college football games and paying attention to what's going on with the, the new NIL where, you know, college players are getting paid do you think this is a good recipe for some guys who come in all of a sudden and it's pressure to, to figure out where English class is and try to make lifting and, and, you know, and, and get to practice on time and get some sleep. And now you throw a pocket full of money on top of it. It seems like it's a, a recipe for even more uh, trouble, not only individually, but even as a team with jealousies in the locker room, I'm, I'm curious your take on, how you think you would have handled some some money in your pocket in Pullman before even you know? Well, it may I may have gotten found out a little earlier and got got to get put on the right track. Um, you know, I, I I do believe players need to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. It's just too much money out there going by the wayside when only one percent uh, of the one percent will make it to the next level. So I do believe that needs to 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 happen. Um, how this is moderated, how this is, how, what the oversight is on it. I don't know. You know, you have Nick Saban, you know, in his best Nick Saban stepping up in front of the Texas high school associations conference in the summer, talking about his quarterback who hadn't played it down just because he's got the brand of Alabama signing for over, you know, almost a million dollars worth of NIL. That's, that's crazy talk. Um, I'm not going to try to cap it on anybody. It's an open market. I want it to be that way. There's something to the innocence of college football that I love so much. I never thought once about when my jersey was hanging in the, in the bookstore on campus and people were wearing it or my likeness was on the video game. I just thought that was just freaking cool. And if you told me I could play 20 games in a season, I wasn't going, hey, I didn't sign up to play 20 games in a season. This is not what this is about. I was like, yeah, let's play 30. I don't care. It's a different mentality. The evolution of the college athlete has changed. And it. It's always going to be that way. And the fear of the unknown uh, is scary. And I think that's where we're at right now. The NCAA has done a, an incredibly poor job over the last two decades of getting us ready in what the evolution will look like. And that's unfortunate. 
Ryan, I want to let you know that I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. We uh, we have a, a history. I can tell you that uh, speaking on, on at least on behalf of my family that we're uh, we're proud of you. Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um, you guys have been a meaningful part of my life, Peyton. Of course, I'm still kind of a uh, shocks kid when it comes to to guys that were incredibly successful. And you're you know you know they are. And, and what he's doing after his career, you know, we're kind of, it, it's ironic. I, I saw him when I called the Tennessee Georgia state game, that crazy upset uh, on, on uh, Rocky top. And I got to meet his son and see him on the field. And I remember buddy, my posting the picture and I'm going, Hey, just a couple dads now <laughs> catching a game on Rocky top. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, that's what we are. So I love it. Um, I'm glad I'm here to experience it. Because for the longest time, I didn't, that really, I didn't think that was a possibility. So I appreciate you, Coop. I appreciate your whole family. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. This is pretty cool, man. As always, Ryan, we always take, and we like to, I like to everybody have a little bite of cold soup at the end and just kind of see yeah. on a scale of one to a thousand, what's your, uh, what's your rating is today? A thousand being the best. This is really good. I'm going to say this is like 950, even <laughs> cold. It's got, it's got, this is a shredded chicken in here with the tomato soup and I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Thanks. And this was meant to be, this was meant to be. Well, it's ironic that you picked 950. That's exactly what I got on my SAT. So I appreciate you thinking of me. <laughs> I can't remember what I got on my SAT. I'm pretty close to you. I think I think I may have been like eight, eight, eight seventy five or something like that. I don't think anybody was trying to copy off either one of us. No, I just needed to get the, the number enough to get me to college. <laughs> Kind of like the Wonderlick. Me and Peyton, we were in there taking it at the same time. I think he, I think we both got the same score. We're just like, this is nonsense. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you, my friend. Really enjoyed it. You bet.